This is Bill Newman, WHMP. <clears throat> Welcome to the show. We continue our election coverage. I know that a lot of our listeners, like many of the voters in our listening area, are really only vaguely aware that there are contested and hotly contested races going on for the governor's council. Some people then still say, and what's the governor's council? And sheriff, there is a front page story in the Daily Hampshire Gazette this morning about that, and for lieutenant governor and for auditor. So political, uh, the political uh, situation in Massachusetts is really in flux, and there are enormously important races to be decided. We have with us back on our show today Eric Lesser, who is one of the candidates for the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor. The other two candidates are Kim Driscoll, who's the mayor of Salem, and Tammy Govea, Govea, who is the state representative from the eastern part of the state. Uh, Eric Lesser, Senator Eric Lesser, represents the first Hamden and Hampshire district, which encompasses the towns of Belchertown, Granby, Jacob East, Longmeadow, Springfield, Wilbraham, Ludlow. I hope I didn't leave any out there in nine communities. This is his fourth term in the Senate. Senator Lesser, thank you so much for being back with us this morning. I do want to get to some of the substantive issues, but I'd like to start with breaking news, if we could. And I want to quote back to you a letter that you and one of your competitors for the lieutenant governor's race in the Democratic primary, uh, State Representative Tammy Gavea, the two of you wrote a letter dated yesterday to Gus Bickford of the Massachusetts Democratic Party. He's the chair of the party here in Massachusetts. I want to quote back to you a few sentences of this letter. Uh, again, I think I, I know you've been working hard. I know your opponents have been working hard, too, uh, in this lieutenant governor's race. But I still think that most people really have not focused on it. There's been a lot in the news, to be sure, that pushes these races to the side. I was appalled when I first read about this story. So let me Quote, you back, quote back to you some of your letter, yours and State Representative uh, Tammy Gavea's letter to the chair of the Democrat, State Democratic Party, Gus Bickford, dated yesterday. In part, you say, according to a July 20th Boston Globe article, a Boston real estate developer and Republican mega donor, Christopher Collins, is expected to fund a super PAC that can accept unlimited and potentially undisclosed contributions in support of Mayor, that's Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll's candidacy. Going back earlier in the letter, you say, we write to request that the Massachusetts Democratic Party denounce the Republican-backed super PAC leadership for mass independent expenditure political action committee, blah, 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 and call on Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll to disavow the PAC and the money raised on her behalf. The person who is identified as funding this uh, Collins has served as a director of the Republican Governors Association Executive Roundtable. That's an organization that supports anti-choice, pro-gun, and anti-environment governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. You go on to conclude, we simply cannot allow national Republicans to decide our election for lieutenant governor. When I saw this story in The Globe, I got to say, I was appalled. If there weren't so much else in the news, this would have been front page headline. Republicans seek to uh, make certain Democratic candidate the lieutenant governor in Massachusetts. I would think it would have been all over the media, and yet it didn't get a lot of attention. I'm wondering what you make of the fact that a Republican mega donor has, is creating a PAC to support one of your opponents, uh, Kim Driscoll, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll. Help us understand this story and tell us your position. 
Well, it, it really is wild, Bill, if you just step back here a second. You have a, what's been considered a sleepy office, right? Lieutenant governor, a Democratic primary in a Democratic state vying to be the running mate to Maura Healy in the general election now has interference from not just any old Republicans, but some of the biggest, most well-known uh, Republican supporters nationally. I mean, this guy helps bankroll the National Governors Association, which is on the front line of supporting governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott that are shredding uh, reproductive rights protections all across the country, rolling back gun protections, rolling back climate protections. I think what it shows is if you actually look at Mayor Dris Driscoll's record, she's not particularly progressive. Uh, and in fact, has done the bidding in many cases of a lot of very wealthy developers. Back in 2016, she, excuse me, 2018, she uh, did not endorse the Democratic candidate for governor. Uh, she has repeatedly uh, sided in Salem with uh, developers that are gentrifying and rise, raising home prices in Salem. So I just think that it raises questions about why somebody who supports Mitch McConnell, somebody who supports Steve Daines, who's the founder of the pro-life caucus in the US Senate, somebody who has poured millions into the Republican Governors Association, has chosen to interfere in a Democratic primary in support of Kim Driscoll. And that's why we kind of took the unprecedented step, Bill. I mean, you've covered politics a long time. My opponent, one of my opponents and I uh, joined in a joint letter to the state party uh, because above all, we're Democrats. We care about the strength of our party. We can't have this kind of meddling from uh, right-wing figures, especially when it's shady and it's undisclosed uh, in our in our politics right now, especially in our primaries. And so Representative Gouvein and I, and I joined together to write this letter uh, to the state party. Has Mayor Driscoll said or done anything in response to the Globe disclosure? Because I'm, I, let me just give you my, my personal reaction. When I read the story, I was expecting the second graph to read and now uh, Mayor Driscoll has disavowed the PAC, said, I won't accept the money. I won't spend any of it. It's a horrible interference with our campaigns, and we do not support Republican uh, uh, right-wingers. Uh, but there's, I haven't heard or seen anything. Has she said anything, as far as you know? Certainly not that I'm aware of, and I think that speaks volumes, because, frankly, she could end it immediately by just publicly saying she won't accept it, she doesn't want the help, and asking them to stand down. I think it's telling that she hasn't done that, Bill. Uh, so this is important. You know, this is a Democratic primary. Voters are going to be picking the running mate for Maura Healey in the general election. They're going to be picking the governing partner for Governor Healy in the, in, for the next four years. Do we really want somebody who's frankly compromised by GOP special interests and by a group of people uh, that are supporting really reactionary and retrograde Republican policies across the country? I mean, to give to Mitch McConnell, the architect of the plan to uh, block Merrick Garland and install three Supreme Court justices that then revoked Roe uh, is pretty outrageous. and. You know, frankly, I think Mayor Driscoll does need to answer for it. So you sent the letter yesterday to the chair of the Massachusetts Democratic primary, and I assume you probably got an answer back and say, we're the state Democratic primary. We don't get involved in uh, uh, primaries, so leave us alone. Something like that? <laughs> well, I, I did speak to uh, to Chair uh, Bickford 
yesterday to, to just give him a heads up uh, when after we sent the letter. It was a very cordial, polite conversation. Uh, they did release a statement that was in uh, Politico this morning saying that they don't get involved in Democratic primaries. Obviously, the state party uh, doesn't get involved in picking sides in a Democratic primary, but that's not what we're asking them to do. We're asking them to make clear that Republicans can't pick sides in a Democratic primary, and that's really uh, the goal here, and we hope that they're going to put some guardrails up because this creates a dangerous precedent, Bill. If, if, sh if shadowy outside money of unlimited amounts and undisclosed amounts from Republicans and from people who support very right-wing Republicans all across the country are coming in and picking sides in a Democratic primary, that creates a very dangerous precedent moving forward. Because this money could actually be really influential. It's just not money. It's money in a race that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, relatively speaking, and which will only get attention uh, immediately before the, 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 before the primary date, which is the day after Labor Day. I understand the invitation to have early voting. Uh, has, those letters have been sent out by the Secretary of State. But it's going to be the last few days and the advertising in the last few days that I think is going to have a substantial effect on this race. And this money from the Republican mega PAC in favor of Kim Driscoll could actually be determinative. So it strikes me as actually it is a really big deal. It's a very big deal, which is why, you know, two out of the three contestants in the race, you know, jointly wrote uh, to Gus Bickford. And again, you know, why would why would the mayor of Salem, why would a Democrat in a Democratic primary want this kind of help from these kinds of people? You know, that really speaks volumes. And I think when you actually look at the record there as mayor of Salem, it's not particularly progressive. And there's a reason uh, that Republican mega donors and Republican developers want to support her. Uh, and it's because she's done their bidding in Salem. Uh, and it's very troubling that people that support Mitch McConnell, people that support Republican governors across the country, people that support senators like Steve Daines, who chairs the pro-life caucus in the U.S. Senate, uh, would would do something like this. Uh, and I think this is important, Bill. This is bigger than just one election. This is bigger uh, than really even the lieutenant governor's race. This is about how our primaries are conducted in Massachusetts uh, and how we make sure that voters are presented with an accurate choice uh, on election day in their primaries. You know, let the Republicans get involved in the Republican primary and have Democrats uh, and, and those leaning Democrat get involved in the Democratic primary, and then you settle it in the general election. That's how it's supposed to work. Senator Lesser, uh, I would like you to take two minutes. I, 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 I know I hate saying this to you because I know you've been working really hard on this campaign, but I think a lot of people at best and a lot of listeners this morning, notwithstanding our coverage in the past, are only now beginning to tune into the lieutenant governor's race. Give us the campaign speech. Give us the two-minute pitch. You've probably done it before. But let's, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, no, well, well, absolutely, Bill. I mean, so, you know, we're in Western Mass together. We're neighbors. You know, my district includes Belchertown and Granby. I live in Longmeadow. Uh, my district also includes Springfield and Chicopee. I think especially for us in the Pioneer Valley, it's very important that we have regional balance at the top of state government. You know, Massachusetts is a really unique state. You know, the population center, the economic center, the political center is all in one place. And if you look over the last... 16 years, you've had you've had uh, uh, lieutenant governors from both Charlie Baker's administration with Karen Polito and Tim Murray with Governor Patrick from the Worcester area. 
and it's transformed Worcester. Worcester has the, the Metro Worcester area has received billions and billions of dollars in investment. New train service connecting Worcester and Boston, the new Worcester Red Sox Stadium, thousands and thousands of square feet of new lab space at UMass Medical School, new housing developments. So we need a state administration. We need a government that's focused on investing in our whole state. The other thing I would just say, Bill, is I think I'm the right partner uh, for Maura Healy. I'm ready to be uh, Maura's lieutenant. I have the receipts of having worked collaboratively with Attorney General Healy for the last eight years. Just a couple of examples. Back in 2015, when we were both new to our offices, we worked together to write a Narcan bulk purchasing program that Northampton and many of our communities in Western Mass are a part of that helped bring Narcan, the price of Narcan down by more than two thirds, saving thousands of lives. For people who aren't familiar, Narcan reverses an overdose. So if a school nurse or an EMT or a police officer or a firefighter shows up at the scene of an overdose and has Narcan, the person is likely to live. Just last year in 2021, we worked together over six years to get the Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights passed. Betsy DeVos tried to stop it the Trump administration tried to stop it. If you remember, Attorney General Healy sued, and we filed legislation in the Senate to create a new consumer protection for student loan borrowers. It's helping 800,000 people today across Massachusetts manage and pay for their student loans. Attorney General Healy and I did that together. So, you know, we need a team at the State House. We need a team in the executive office that's ready to implement she sets the agenda she's the boss she's the governor the lieutenant's job is to help implement and execute on that agenda across the state and i'm ready to do that and by the way bill we're closer than we've ever been to getting east west rail service done the federal money is there i was with uh, congressman neal at union station in springfield on monday I'm proud to have his endorsement we need a state administration that puts the application in motion to get the money from the feds in the door and the shovels in the ground. And now Attorney General, but soon to be Governor Healy has consistently over years supported that project. If you look at the partnership between Deval Patrick and Tim Murray uh, after the Obama stimulus was passed in 2009, they helped get 14 trains a day between Worcester and Boston, which helped transform Central Mass. We need to do the same for East-West to Springfield and to Pittsfield. And Bill, we have a lot of pro uh, progress in the works. And we've worked really diligently both with Jim McGovern and Richie Neal, and of course, uh, the, the state legislative delegation, Joe Comerford and Lindsay Sabadosa in Northampton, among many others, to get the Valley Flyer beefed up, the North-South service into New York City. The busiest uh, stop on the Vermonter line is between Northampton and New York. We, I know all these things and I'm familiar with them because I'm local uh, and I've been working on them for years and years and years. So having a Lieutenant Governor that's ready to pull up their sleeves and focus on that and improving that service is gonna be really important. We're speaking with State Senator Eric Lesser is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Lieutenant Governor. We're gonna take a quick break and be right back more with the Senator right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Mr. 
an episode of The Bill Newman Show? Want to revisit a conversation from legendary civil rights attorney from Ashfield, Buzz Eisenberg? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP. It's the sound of life in the Valley. WHMP.com. Saluting our community's first responders today and every day. Greenfield Fire Chief Bob Strayon on his crew's tireless service and their professionalism and resiliency shown during COVID. Every day is a constant threat of becoming exposed or getting ill from the virus. We take our precautions when we interact with the public, especially on medical calls. We use our proper protective equipment. Um, I just commend them for the efforts that they've put from day one before the pandemic, starting to recover from the pandemic. The fire department, especially the firefighters they stand ready for any challenge that comes their way and uh, they've done a great job and they will continue to do a great job to keep the community safe we're grateful for our first responders and so are our sponsors lundgren honda of greenfield experience it everyone at lundgren honda knows our first responders give so much to our community so now they want to give back to them in appreciation for their service and dedication local first responders are invited to LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com's homepage for details on an exclusive offer thank you for keeping our communities safe your weed eater. We mean weed whacker, but weed eater fits better in this ad. Makes life simpler. Well, now the mortgage eater from Franklin First does that as well. Franklin First reintroduces the mortgage eater loan. The loan that pays off your first mortgage or works as a second mortgage to give you financial flexibility. Mortgage eater loans start at five-year terms and have no closing costs. So visit franklinfirst.org, get all the details, and apply online. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, equal housing lender. Is there corn chowder today? There are things they only make certain times of year at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. And with the corn so tall, there might be corn chowder today. There might be blueberry pie. The kitchen garden farm in Sunderland might arrive at Paul and Elizabeth's today with eggplant or zucchini. What'll they make with those? Eating at Paul and Elizabeth's isn't exactly like eating out of your own garden, but it's close. Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, inside Thorns in Northampton. Summer adventures are where memories are made. Add some flavor to your Massachusetts summer by eating like a local. Support local farmers and your appetites by exploring farmer's markets throughout the state. Take home a pint of juicy strawberries or add sweet plump blueberries to your morning cereal. There's no better place to find a tomato to complement your burger or the freshest ear of corn you'll enjoy all season. Need some inspiration? Map your fresh food adventure at eatlikealocalinma.org. Paid for by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Senator Eric Lesser, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor. That position is extremely important, notwithstanding that it's somewhat ill-defined in our state constitution. Eric, Senator Lesser, I would appreciate it if you would be kind enough to let us know whether you think that your experience prior to the four terms that you've been in, the, in, in this position as state senator whether that is relevant and important to your uh, presentation to Massachusetts voters and your request for their vote for lieutenant governor. Well, thanks so much, Bill. Uh, and I do think it's relevant just for some context for people. Before I was in uh, the state Senate uh, representing uh, Berkshire, excuse me, uh, Hampshire and Hamden counties, 
Uh, I worked for four years for President Obama. Uh, I actually got my start with him carrying his suitcases all around New Hampshire during the first in the nation primary. Uh, but I eventually worked for David Axelrod as the special assistant to David Axelrod, who was the senior advisor to President Obama in the first term of his administration. I had a desk about 40 feet from the front door of the Oval Office. Uh, during that time, worked very closely on the passage of the Affordable Care Act, uh, worked closely with Elizabeth Warren on the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and Wall Street reform, worked on the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, among many, many other items. Uh, and after that service with Axelrod, I became the head of strategy at the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, during the response to the Great Recession, uh, we worked on, of course, infrastructure policy, uh, fiscal policy, uh, and also relations with state and local governments, uh, because we were working to try to dig dig the, those states out of the hole of the Great Recession that they were all in. I'm the only candidate bill in this race uh, with high-level federal experience, along with high-level state experience. And I think that that's important, especially in the next four or five years. We have more than $9 billion in infrastructure money coming from the Biden uh, infrastructure bill alone. We need the expertise and the relationships to get that money in the door and get shovels in the ground quickly. And also, Bill, really importantly, we, we see the horrific situation with the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, that's not changing anytime soon because of the age and makeup of the current justices. We saw Roe shredded to pieces, something many, many people could never have imagined. Uh, that's now true. We've seen the rollbacks with the swipe of a pen of important and life-saving uh, gun safety legislation, in some cases that's been on the books for 100 years. And we've also seen, and we're going to continue to see, rollbacks of vital climate protections and environmental protections. And there's obviously going to be much more to come. We need a team in the state that's prepared to batten down the hatches and to do what we need to do to protect Massachusetts. Just yesterday, uh, the legislature, the Senate and the House agreed on a reproductive access bill that's going to create a shield law for our providers uh, is going to make sure that women who come to Massachusetts for care are protected uh, and that the providers who care for them uh, are also protected. Uh, we're sending that bill to Governor Baker. It should be on his desk imminently if it hasn't gotten there yesterday. We certainly hope he's going to sign it. We're going to have to do a lot more of that, including taking many executive actions you know, out of the governor's office to help fight this. I think my experience uh, and my combination of both state and federal experience at the highest levels is, is different uh, than what the other candidates are offering. In that regard, I'd like to go back to east-west, west-east rail for a moment and ask you how close that is actually to starting construction. And if you could help us understand where the line would be, uh, I'd yeah. appreciate that. So it's still a ways from construction starting, although uh, we did in the legislature pass a $275 million bond authorization. Uh, Senator Comerford was one of the big, big champions of that. Uh, as was, uh, you know, all of the senators really in Western Mass and the and the state representatives in Western Mass. 
Uh, that bond authorization will allow the state to basically start doing the prep work, uh, the site designs, the, the cleanup work, the, maybe the engineering analyses to make us as competitive as, as possible for those federal funds. The line bill is already there. This is something that I think people get confused about. It's not like in California where they're ripping up almond farms and you know and 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 knocking people's homes down to build uh, to build a, a rail line there is a train already uh going back and forth from boston all the way actually to chicago uh, via springfield and pittsfield called the lakeshore limited so the issue here is ex is building out the capacity and improving the capacity on the line that's already there uh, to get passenger service uh, up to snuff and you know to be frank, one of the biggest limitations is CSX, which is a freight rail operator that currently uses that line. But this is doable. Uh, you just need to work a negotiation to share the track between CSX and the passenger rail. And you've got to make the investments to double track where you need to uh, and make the signals and infrastructure improvements to make the trains fast. So it's doable. Uh, in fact, MassDOT has done many analyses of, the, of this over the years. It's not an engineering or or sort of logistical challenge, Bill. It's a political one. Uh, we just haven't had political leadership at the highest levels of the state uh, that have made this a priority. And the last thing I'll say on this, not to go long, but if you look at the big infrastructure projects that have gotten done, South Coast Rail is now under construction. The Green Line extension that just that just opened in Somerville and Medford the um uh the of course expansion to worcester it was focused high level engagement from the top that kept those projects on track and had them open tim murray in worcester as lieutenant governor uh the leadership uh of the south coast legislative delegation to get south coast rail done uh and of course uh the leadership of mike capuano and many others uh to keep the green line extension at the top of everybody's uh, agenda uh, as uh, as the ups and the inevitable ups and downs uh, continued over a number of years, Senator Lesser, let's talk about Boston and transportation for the uh, little while we just very little while we have left. I'd like to know whether or not what got a lot of attention in Western Massachusetts uh, over the last few days, which is the car on the orange line bursting into flames and putting people at great risk. I'm wondering whether the problems with the uh, MBTA and the uh, and and the uh, service in in and around Boston uh, is going to focus or has focused the legislature's and the governor's attention on transportation issues and whether that's good or bad for East West Rail in the sense that well it's going to cost a lot of money to fix the T. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so I have a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> uh, so first off, the situation with the MBTA in regards to safety is completely unacceptable. Uh, I mean, the Orange Line fire was horrific. A woman literally jumped off the bridge uh, into into the Mystic River uh, for safety. Uh, it looks like scenes that you would never want in the city of Boston, let alone anywhere. It was completely outrageous and unfortunately bill it's not an isolated incident there's been multiple derailments on the blue line on the red line and we had actually that monday before the fire we had the head of the mbta and the secretary of transportation in front of us at the transport at a transportation oversight hearing on safety and we asked the mbta head point blank is the system safe he looked at us in the eye and said yes Two days later, you had this orange line fire. 
unacceptable. The legislature has already appropriated an emergency allotment of $300 million to get the safety improvements. But Bill, it's not about money. The T has, they can't spend the money that they have. They have COVID rescue money that's been allotted. We've done multiple supplemental budgets. The issue is one of management and accountability and culture. And that takes leadership from the top. And I'm confident Governor Healy is going to take it on. And I'm ready and I have the transportation expertise to help uh, to help her do that. And then just the last point, Bill, on the expansion west because and to the south coast, which is ongoing also, because I know where the question goes. There's sometimes this debate of saying, oh, well, if the, the, the core MBTA system is such a mess, how can you expand? Well, I actually think that the survival of the T relies on continued expansion because it brings more people in, it brings new people in, it creates political buy-in around the state for making those improvements. It makes the whole system healthier. I mean, imagine if 50 years ago or whenever it was, if the red line extension that they did from Harvard to Alewife never happened, a lot less people would be using the red line. And by the way, the whole 128 corridor would be a lot less vibrant uh, than it is right now. So you need to do both. You need to invest in and improve the core system and you need expansion. We've been speaking with State Senator Eric Lesser, Senator for the 1st Hamden and Hampshire District. He is a candidate for the Democratic, Democratic Lieutenant Governorship, that position. The primary is the day after Labor Day. Senator, thank you so much for your time. Hope you'll be back with us again soon. Thanks, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Charlie handed in his dime at the Kendall Square Station. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A fire at the former Strathmore paper mill in Russell that started yesterday burned through the night and continued smoldering into the morning. The Russell Montgomery Police Department was broadcasting live to its Facebook page overnight as firefighters from several departments worked to control the flames and demolish unsafe portions of the structure. The fire is now contained, but rubble continues to smolder, and firefighters remain at the site to make sure debris does not reignite. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Workers at the Trader Joe's store on Route 9 in Hadley will hold a union election today and tomorrow after receiving approval to do so from the National Labor Relations Board. If the vote passes, the store will become the first in the grocery chain to have its workers unionize. The National Labor Relations Board says representation petitions have increased by at least 57 percent since October of 2021. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner will speak today about recent gun violence in the city. The mayor will be joined by Acting Police Chief William Gordon for an 11 a.m. news conference at City Hall. There have been three shooting incidents in Greenfield in the past month, not including several other incidents in which illegal guns have been seized by police. The most recent incident happened on Monday afternoon when a man fired a dozen rounds into an apartment building. Partly to mostly sunny today, low humidity, a high of 84 to 88. Scattered clouds tonight, humidity returns overnight, a low of 60 to 66. Muggy day tomorrow with a mixture of sun and clouds. Be ready for scattered showers and thunderstorms, especially in the afternoon, a high of 86 to 90. Low 80s, chance for a scattered shower or two on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El Papa Francisco emitió una disculpa histórica el lunes por la cooperación de la Iglesia Católica con la política catastrófica de Canadá de las escuelas residenciales indígenas, diciendo que la asimilación forzada de los pueblos nativos a la sociedad cristiana destruyó sus culturas, separó a las familias y marginó a las generaciones. Lo siento profundamente, dijo Francisco ante los aplausos de los sobrevivientes de la escuela y los miembros de la comunidad indígena reunidos en una antigua escuela residencial al sur de Edmonton, Alberta. En el primer evento de su peregrinación penitencial de una semana, Francisco viajó a las tierras de cuatro naciones Cree para orar en un cementerio y luego entregar la disculpa tan buscada en los terrenos ceremoniales Pau Wau cercanos. Cuatro jefes escoltaron al pontífice en una silla de ruedas al sitio cerca de la antigua escuela residencial Hermineskin y le entregaron un tocado de plumas después de que habló, convirtiéndolo en un líder honorario de la comunidad. Como reflejo de las emociones conflictivas del día, algunos en la multitud lloraron y hasta clamaron mientras Francisco hablaba, mientras que otros aplaudieron o se quedaron en silencio escuchando sus palabras y otros optaron por no asistir en absoluto. En otras informaciones, el comité del 6 de enero de la Cámara de Representantes dijo el domingo que entrevistará a más exsecretarios del gabinete y está preparado para citar a la activista conservadora Virginia Thomas, quien está casada con el juez de la Corte Suprema Clarence Thomas, como parte de su investigación sobre los disturbios en el Capitolio y el papel de Donald Trump. Los miembros del comité también esperan aprender más sobre el propio esfuerzo de Ginny Thomas para mantener a Trump en el cargo y los posibles conflictos de interés para el juez Clarence Thomas como resultado de los casos del 6 de enero que se presentaron ante la Corte Suprema. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is indeed Sex Matters. Woohoo! With Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist. Jane... I kind of despair doing this, but the microphone is yours. <laughs> despair okay. only because what is coming <laughs> next? <laughs> what is coming it. next? You know, we were just talking about that during the break. Thank you, Bill. Hi, Monty. Hello. Hi, Natalia. Hi, it's so great to be with all three Yay. of you in person. We're here. So sex politics has become sexy. Well, or at least it's become topical. And I've been pondering the latest really dire wave of conservative backlash, both at the U.S. Supreme Court and also in Congress. And, you know, first they decide to overturn Roe v. Wade, and then Clarence Thomas, in his dissent, which was despicable to read, talked about contraception, he talked about sodomy laws, you know, he talked about same-sex marriage. In he his majority opinion. He didn't just talk about him. He said all of those decisions which protect those 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 things uh, right. as a constitutional basis, right. they're wrong, and we right. should revisit them, which means we should overrule them. Right, those people. And by the way, he didn't talk about the Loving decision, did he, Bill? Oh, yeah. No, and Loving versus Virginia is the case where the Supreme Court in 1967 uh, decided that the Virginia prohibition on interracial marriages was unconstitutional. Right, and right. the interesting thing about the Loving decision is it's not an equal protection decision. It's not based oh. on race. It's based on the fundamental right of marriage. Oh, interesting. And of course, Clarence Thomas, this is close to home because Ginny Thomas has a bit lighter skin than Clarence. But we won't go into that, will she we? White. She is white. But my latest worst nightmare is Marco Rubio. A couple of days ago, he called the same-sex marriage vote in Congress a stupid waste of time. And then when he was talking about the 
our favorite, Monty, the don't say gay bill in, in schools. This is what he said, he, quote, we don't want our public schools indoctrinating six and seven-year-olds in the transgender agenda. Hello. Wait a minute. First of all, I didn't know we had one. There's we're an not agenda. All, I didn't know we were all in agreement. But anyway, all of these cases are about sexuality in some form. And they're all about limiting our sexual freedom. So if these conservative lawmakers don't want us to talk about sex with humans, Bill, I thought today we could talk about sex with animals. Bill, don't do it. I don't think we should be Bill. having sex with animals. Let's go off the air. We'll talk to Bill. This is an intervention. Queer animals. We're going to talk about queer. We're not going to talk about us having sex with animals, Monty. We're going to oh. just talk about animals having sex with animals okay. as okay. queer animals. Phew. Because if you think people are uncomfortable talking about sex with humans, guess what? They're really the animals are really uncomfortable talking about this among themselves? <laughs> well, I don't you have to talk to the primates about that. But anyway, the mollusks may not talk as much. But I would say <laughs> it extends to our friends who study the animal world. So thanks to some new and really incredibly brave uh, breed of scientists, you're going to get all the animal references today. Uh, Monty, we're learning all sorts of information. Does this mean a quiz is coming? A quiz is coming. Uh -oh. Some of our lawmakers in the Senate and also the House might do well to bone up on some of this. Monty. <laughs> so, ready for a we quiz We need a today? comeback. <laughs> uh, Done. <ready. laughs> I mean, I finished. So, let's see what you know, the three of you, what you know about our friends in the rest of the animal kingdom. Ready? Ready. Ready. Okay. Pencils in hand? Yes. Okay. Remember the biblical Noah's Ark conceptualization of life? You know, male-female pairs walking dutifully onto the ark, pair bonding, and procreating for each species. Well, this might not al always be the case. While most of our evolutionary bi biology stresses the survival of the fittest and selfish competition for offspring, Christine Webb, who's a primatologist at Harvard's Human Evolutionary Biology Department. You think she'd study insects with a name like Webb? <laughs> she studies insects, and she found that ch no, she, she doesn't. Does oh. no, she does. No, she studies chimpanzees, oh. but she found that chimps use sex for what? A. Managing stress. B. Releasing tension. C. Male chimpanzees engage in sexual activities to reconcile their fights. So they're having sex with each other to reconcile their fights. Or D, all of the above. What do you think? It's always all of the above. So it's got to be all of the above. Oh, no. They were both right, Natalia. What do you think? Well, I don't know if they're both right. I was going to just say, uh, <laughs> Bill, because you've been in the courtroom a lot of times, is that what you lawyers do <laughs> to reconcile differences? Is that why they don't let us in with cameras? Oh, you're already extrapolating into the human world. Okay, slow down, okay. Natalia. We're not there yet. Notice that Bill is not answering. I have the right to remain silent. Everything I say can and will be used against me. What has been used against you in the past? Okay, uh, a similar study of chimps in um, Uganda. And you know how Uganda feels about homosexuals. Yeah. Anyway, that's Thanks to our incredible. pastor from this Western Mountain region, Scott right. Lively, who's we been had a guest on this right show. Right here with yeah. me. Oh that was the, I'm going to just interrupt you very quickly to Please. say, I talk about this story all the time where mm -hmm. I invited Jane and her partner in and another couple that as well incredible. and felt we could surround him with the love of humanity mm -hmm. and convert him from Darth Vader back to Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> it didn't work. But I don't regret trying, but you're very brave of you to volunteer to be well, part of it. Was, was he intense. nice the whole time? I um, wouldn't call him nice. No, he was nice. And also it was hard to sit that close to him. But anyway, she, listen to this, a similar study in Uganda found that a majority of the males engaged in what they call socio-sexual behavior, 
that is sex that's casual and outside of a committed relationship. All right, number two, let's try this one. See if you can all be so smart again. <laughs> Research into cold-blooded male garter snakes. <laughs> oh, the ones all. that we see all the time. No, those are the ones that you throw after a wedding. <laughs> Found that A, they use pheromones to encourage courtship in other males. Yes. This is male garter snakes, okay? Be stop! Don't tell her yet. They form mating balls to help warm mating up individuals okay, wait whose a minute. temperatures Jane, have gotten dangerously Jane, low. Excuse me, you have mating balls. <laughs> You've had mating balls, and you will have them in the future. Okay, uh, and see all. Nobody the above. mentioned Bill. Bill, come on! You have mating balls. You had Bill is, to, to Bill is hiding under the I, I'm, I'm deeply involved in the Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. <laughs> well, yes, it was all of the above. Monty, you're so smart. Okay, how about this? What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it was about yeah. why male cold-blooded garter snakes have sex with each other. And part of it is to just keep warm. So there's gay sex with garter snakes. Yep. Okay. Keep warm. Okay. We're going to keep going because okay. you're going to learn more about queer sex today than you probably ever thought about. Okay. Uh, also, uh, if you uh, have oh. religious people in your lives yes. that are always saying it doesn't exist in the animal kingdom, they are. Yeah, 100% wrong yeah. on That's so right. many different levels. Yes. That's what I was going to say at the end, Monty. Oh, but you're so smart. Well, you said like, it you know what? Call Jane. Like, we'll we'll run out of time. We'll, we'll run out of time. We'll say it again. Okay. okay. Yeah. Ready? Yes. Want to get another one right? Yes. Okay. Female-female pair bonds. We might call them lesbians, but that's a little bit anthropomorphic. Wait you know a minute. I mean? Two bumblebees that are female that hang out together, why can't they be lesbians? They are, but I just they may not identify They're themselves like that way. Okay. They anyway. Are lizards, are they lesbians? Ooh, oh, very oh good, my Monty. God, Monty is okay. so quick. Female-female pair bonds exist in many wow. bird species, including gulls. Yeah, girls. Girls. Turns, yes, yeah. gals. <laughs> and albatrosses. I love albatrosses. Yes. These bonds average more eggs per nest than their quote unquote heterosexual partners. I mean, heterosexual counterparts. Is that true or false? Do you think the female female pairs have more eggs in their nest? Than their male female counterparts. Yes, because the the fathers always leave. <laughs> and because I'm assuming the males still can't lay eggs, so they're theoretically <laughs> double the odds of being able to lay eggs. What do you think, Bill? Oh, definitely, definitely. Bill, come on. The women, the women for the women, by the women, there of the you women. Go. I, I'm all we in on this. We have inculcated Bill. You know, we have really taught, and also thanks to Dale. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. So you're all right, including Dale. The answer is true because these eggs are fertilized by sex outside of the female-female union. And the fact that a bird population with many bonded females produces more offspring led an ornithologist named Jared Diamond to wonder whether, quote, Further study of homosexually paired female birds may help clarify what, if anything, males are good for in an evolutionary sense, of course. Quote, unquote. Yes. That's a great place to take a break. I'm going to go hide <laughs> under the table. We're going to talk we'll, about it on the break. And we may Jared or may not Diamond be back. That's right. <laughs> okay. I've been a roaming Juliet. My Romeos have been many. But now my roaming days have gone. Too many irons in the fire. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. not having any. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. What, what I'm trying to communicate is that there are many, many layers of, of safety management in place at Eversource to ensure that we reduce as much risk as, as possible. Does the Bliss Street Station intentionally vent gas regularly? Because I can tell you that it vents gas. 
pretty much every time I've gone to that area, I have smelled gas. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Moses and Kitch want out of their Chicago neighborhood and off the corner to which they are tethered. They dream of things, clean socks, and the return of a dead brother. Things that await in the promised land, if only they can pass over. The Chester Theatre Company presents Pass Over, Antoinette Nwandu's surreal and morbidly funny existential drama. The first play performed when Broadway reopened last year. Pass Over, this week and next week. Get tickets now at chestertheatre.org. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson and Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19 and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Sex Matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist, and her uh, co-worker, Natalia <laughs> Munoz. <laughs> she's my assistant for the day. She's, she's actually my demo girl. She's really good. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay, All right. Natalia, ready? Ready. Go. Let's go. <laughs> I wish we had a visual component to this. Um, I'm so glad we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you have grandchildren now. and That's true. Um, Monty and Natalia, you've been around children once in a while. Do you ever hear the book, um, And Tango Makes Three? Yes. Okay, it's a really cute children's book, and it was inspired, actually, by a pair of male chinstrip penguins in the Central Park Zoo in the they city. They wrote it? They can't hold a pen with their flowers, so they just dictated it. So they had raised a chick uh, from an egg that they had been given to foster. Now, when was the first record of same-sex sexual activity in penguins? A, in 2000, when Tango was born in Central Park. B, in 1913, when naturalists captured a flock of penguins from the Antarctica 
and brought them to the Edinburgh Zoo. Where they were you mean dis- they caught them flocking? They were, well, no, they were flocking so much they couldn't figure out who was who, and then they realized that they were bisexuals. I mean, they're all wearing tuxedos. It's really hard to tell. <laughs> well, the butchers Stop were flocking with that thing over there. <laughs> that's, that's another kind of flogging. But anyway, how about in 1911 when the explorer George Murray Levick discovered what he called depraved behavior in wild um, Adelies in uh, Antarctica? Or D, all of the above. It's well, if it's the oldest, then it's 1911. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so can't, can't, can't be all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's really getting on. Yeah. I do a quiz me. on my own show every day, so I kind of know <laughs> I how know, these things I work. Know, I, know. <laughs> I know. And that's why we love you, Monty. Thanks. Um, so it was actually the explorer, and he became completely obsessed with these penguins. wonder right? why. And, and <laughs> totally what, in the closet. He finally the, got an out. Right. One of the historians wrote about him when the first birds arrive, you can tell the mounting excitement that he has. It's palpable in the pages of his journal. It blows his mind. Hello, George. Like, Levick, get with your program. He was particularly taken aback by the extreme sexual behavior displayed by the young male penguins. He referred to them as, ready, Bill? Hooligan cocks. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Bill, what do you say to that? Because you've been very quiet in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if this corner, the wall can move. <laughs> okay, Jane. Let's talk about bugs, Bill. Bugs, okay? sure. Let's talk about bugs. So you remember Thomas. Because to talk about whales and penguins has been kind gonna, of disconcerting. We're, we're not going to talk about whale penises today, but we have in the past, and we could in the future. Thomas Aquinas, 13th century philosopher and a priest, you know, big... Uh, uh, ideologue, he argued that homosexual behavior in humans is wrong because it doesn't occur in animals. Okay, so we're now getting sort of the, the roots of this Catholic mm-hmm. sort of like, uh, you know, pejorative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he saw it as a sign of decadence, but his notions got overturned, upturned in 1834 when an entomologist named August Kelch discovered two male Melolantha, melolantha beetles having sex. These beetles are commonly known as white grub cock chafers. I kid you not. Oh my goodness. B, doodle bugs. C, may bugs. Or D, all of the above. Don't answer, Monty. Let Bill answer. Yeah, Bill. Bill, say I'm gonna, A. I'm gonna say go, the name for A, I'm going to go out on a limb here and go with all of the above. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Those cock chafers, huh? I prefer to call them cock chafers Me myself. Too. I mean, Again, this is entomology, everybody. <laughs> I mean, come on. And they thought, Science. like, first they thought, like, the males were forcing themselves on the weaker males. I mean, it's so interesting. They couldn't see that it might be because... They were interested. Were they called cockchafers before they made this discovery or <laughs> after they made this discovery? All right. Let's talk about one more thing and then I'll okay. stop. Um, bonobos. The do what, the do what? you like bonobo apes, Bill? I, I, I don't know that any oh, those person. Are the ones that bonobos know. love sex. I mean, they're really, in my world, people uh, admire bonobos. They're the ones with the pink faces and the dangling nose. They're adorable and they have sex all the time. Mm-hmm. So they're, the, they're probably the most famous of all sexual beings besides you, of course, Bill. But anyway, <laughs> they have sex just because they enjoy it and they have a lot of it. And as our closest animals, right, they're our closest relatives next to chimps. Researchers have found that female-female sexual activities in bonobos is the most frequent sexual activity in this species. Isn't that nice to hear, Natalia? So why do they have so much sex? Well, A, could it be that they use the oxytocin, you know, the neurotransmitter that we call the 
cuddle hormone or the bonding hormone to strengthen social alliances between the females, or B, because they have far lower levels of aggression than other primates, or C, because they've been called the sexy hippie apes, or D, all of the above. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, D again, all of the above, because at uh, least you have called them sexy hippie apes. I would, I would call them sexy yeah. hippie apes. And I have to say, we have come to the end of the quiz, and you have all gotten 100% today. Wow. Way to go, especially Bill, right? I mean, wow. Natalia and Monty, I always count on you for the right answers, but Bill, good I job. I just want to point out, but Bill, you know, uh, Bill didn't say anything. Well, he nodded a few times. And okay, he, and he turned He's holding red. up fingers. When he was under the his desk, I saw the top of his red, head. And he doesn't say anything, and he puts his head down. And tries to hide behind the microphone. Dale, we need you to work on this. There are so many more examples. Marine snails, bottlenose dolphins. Oh I'll stop there. Gay. But while the Supreme Court and conservative lawmakers in Congress debate the viability, remember, they might be thinking it's unnatural, but we know instead of projecting our own ideas on animals, why don't we are they this learn a little bit from them behavior. and see the kind of sexual freedom we could have in all animals? It Thanks gets you guys. Better. Jane Fleischman, Natalia Munoz, our resident sexologist. And her administrative <laughs> assistant. <laughs> demo girl, demo girl. Demo girl. You can hear yes. Vaya con Munoz Saturday mornings right here on WHMP. Woo! Something to say. Oh. Anytime or anywhere. Just look over your shoulder. Guess who'll be standing there? The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413 The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's time.